Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am sorry if you are standing. Uh, you get first tickets for the food trucks afterwards though, so... Uh, and probably an extra like jewel in your crown or something. I don't really know what the rules are on this. Uh, thank you so much, though, for joining us. Man, I am excited that you are here today on our Easter Sunday celebrating with us this morning. Uh, I'm super excited that our kids are in the gathering. Kids, are you still out there? It's kind of dark in here. Yeah. Has anybody fallen asleep yet? Yeah. Oh, okay. See, kids respond. That's what happens. Uh, adults, not so much, I've noticed, you know, like kind of like a chuckle every now and then kind of thing. Uh, anyway, today I am very, very glad that you're here. There's sort of two parts to this sermon. The first part I want to call the death that we tolerate. Uh, in this weird, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little gun shy to call it post-pandemic times. I don't really know. Maybe we'll see, you know. Uh, I feel like we've gotten really used to a lot of things, you know, like we've gotten really used to like worse service. I went to a hotel recently, and uh, me and my brother, like, you know, shared a room. We met somewhere. He lives far away, so we met somewhere, and I was like, when are they going to come change our sheets? And he was like, bro, when was the last time you've been to a hotel? And this is just, like, what we're used to now, you know? Like, we just, like, have to slip into being like, okay, we're going to get worse service, but probably pay a little bit more for it. That's kind of life now. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, you know, uh, kids were wearing masks in schools for the longest time and everything like that. Uh, my daughter, actually with us today, she got so used to it that she's, like, picked up a few little, like, five-year-old life hacks. Like, when it's cold outside and if your lips get really chapped, you can just slap that thing on. And she did it the other day. We were walking out. I was like, oh, I don't think you're going to need your mask today. And she was like, oh, no, it's fine. I like wearing it when it's cold outside so my lips don't get cold. And I thought to myself, like, what if she would have said that three years ago? You know, like, we're, like, stepping outside. She's like, I got to put something over my face. My mouth's going to get cold. You know, it's kind of absurd. But we're, like, used to it now, which doesn't make any sense to me. I've noticed <clears throat> that human beings can actually get really, really used to just about anything. I mean, think about it for just a moment, and this may offend some people in the room, and if so, I'm sorry, you should move to Colorado. But I want you to think about this really hard right now. There are people that choose to live their lives in Minnesota, and there are people that choose to live their lives in Houston. And at alternating times of the year, right, I know, this front row, that's going to be rough right here, I think, actually. Uh, at alternating times of the year, though, it can be like negative 13 degrees, and people are like, oh, yeah, let's go dig a hole in the ice and get some fish, right? Like, that is actually happening, and someone thinks like, yeah, this is a perfectly fine way to live a life. At another time of the year, it can be 115 degrees, 600% humidity, and people are like, you know what we should do? We should go out and cook meat outside and just stand in the smoke for like the longest and slowest way possible to ever prepare any food, right? It's absurd, but I think we can just really get used to anything. And if you can't get used to anything, then you move to Colorado where the weather is perfect 90% of the time, right? But people do it, man. People get used to it. They can kind of adjust, they can kind of adapt, and you know, you might want to call it astonishing, you can call it resiliency, you can call it adaptability, but something about us as human beings can kind of get used to and even tolerate almost anything. And it makes me wonder, it makes me ask this question, what exactly else are we tolerating? Like, if we can get used to that and just think to ourselves, like, hey, this is life now, like, what else are we actually just saying, like, man, I, I don't really like this, I don't love that it happens, but... It's just the way it is. It's just something that we have to put up with. Have you ever noticed how many phrases we've worked into our vocabulary around this to console ourselves when life is just not what we want it to be? 
We use the phrase, like, stuff happens. It's maybe the Easter-y way to say that. Uh, we're all fine here. It is what it is. That's just the way it goes. These are all, like, phrases that have worked their, themselves into our vocabulary just to be a placeholder for when we want to just say, man, life is not what I expected or what I want it to be. Life is worse than what I feel like I deserve or what I have gotten or what I even was promised in some ways. We say things like, man, I mean, that guy is not always the nicest to me, and I'm still dating him, but I don't know, it's, it's just the way it is. We say, my boss overlooked me for that promotion again, but it's just the way it is. We say, my grandmother got cancer and is, you know, slowly passing away, and it's just the way it is. I'm sure you've heard this or even used it in your own lives. And if you think about those types of phrases, there's sort of inherent two things in there. One is that something's not right. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. I feel, I feel like there should be something different. And then the other half of the phrase is just like, well, the only solution is to accept it. The only solution is just to embrace it for what it is. We've gotten so comfortable with it. And I think death is the worst possible example of this. I think we've become far too tolerant of death even existing in our lives. Over the past couple of weeks, you may or may not know this, there have been shootings in North Carolina, in Georgia, in New York City. And I feel like even uh, yesterday, I found myself scrolling, and I was like looking through my news app, and I didn't even click on the article. Like somebody had like shot 10 people somewhere, and I was just like, oh, well, that happens, right? Like how twisted is that, that I've just become sort of immune to that even affecting me on a deep level. You think about like the war in Ukraine, like thousands of people are dying. While we are sitting here, someone is probably losing their life. And that feels like a statistic. You know, it's just a number. It's far away. It doesn't mean anything. That's a human soul. A father, a mother, brother, sister, son, daughter. And it feels like all that we can do in reaction to this, all that we can do in reaction to so much death around us is just to become comfortable with it. But deep down inside, something inside of us knows that it's not right. If you think about just comparing the frequency of how often it happens and how immune that we become to it, why should we ever feel any sort of frustration at it? Why should we ever feel disappointment? Why should we ever feel rage when it does happen? And yet, deep down in our souls, we do feel it, right? Something feels wrong. Something feels off. There's actually a Decemberist song that I really like, uh, and they say, uh, we all die young. And it sort of captures the essence of this, that like even in times when we think like, oh, well, it was their time, it was whatever, it just kind of in some ways feels like a platitude to help us feel better. Now, I know this is not the happy, clappy Easter sermon maybe you were expecting, but I feel like it's something that we need to recognize in ourselves that we become incredibly tolerant to death. Somehow accepting it as an inevitability, tolerating it makes it easier to bear, we think. But it's not how it's supposed to happen. And if you allow yourself, you can feel it deep down inside. There's far too much going on in your head, in your heart, for you just to die and that be the end of the story. We fight it, we use medicine, we exercise, we try and put it off as long as we can because we know that it's not right. And yet, when it comes to those that we love, we say, that's just the way that goes. There's one time, though, that it didn't go that way. There's actually this group of people 
And uh, they met this guy one time, and he shows up. His name is Jesus. And he says, hey, follow me. And so they start following him around the, the country. Uh, he's, like, doing all these things. He's speaking uh, to different people. He's saying really cool things, like, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, he's doing all of these cool miracles. And these people that start following him hang out with him for three years. They're wandering around. They don't even have a home. They're sort of popping in. They're staying with friends. They're sleeping outside. And all of this so they can stick around with this guy who's teaching them things. He's saying things to them that they've never heard before. He is answering questions that their souls were asking that they didn't even know about. And so they follow this guy around. Eventually, he starts getting in trouble with the leaders of the day and says some things that they don't really like. And eventually, they have him killed. They have him hung on a cross. They have him put to death. What's really interesting, at least for our story today, is what happens next with these people that were following him around. They go back to normal life. They go back to their jobs. They just sort of say, well, that was a weird three years, but I guess I better get back to work, right? Like, I guess I better, like, jump back into my normal life. I've got to figure out what that is. In fact, in our story today, we actually see some women who were bringing spices to Jesus' tomb because they were just like, well, he's dead now. It's funny looking back, you know, and now we have sort of like the Easter story built into our cultural memory in some ways, and we're like, in three days, he rose from the grave. These people that were coming to bring spices, you don't bring spices to somebody that's alive, right? Like, you don't bring spices because you're expecting Jesus to hang out with you, and you guys go and get ice cream or something like that. You do it because you think the body is going to stink, because decay and rot is going to have set in at this point. These people that had hung out with Jesus for three whole years and seen all of the life that he had given to them saw him die, and we're under the impression that that was the end of the story. But that's just the way it goes, just the way it is. Which leads us to act two, the resurrection that we long for. In Luke's telling of this story, he actually gives an account of the moment when everything changed. This is Luke 24, 1 through 7. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this, and behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now, there are a few different accounts in Scripture of Jesus' resurrection. We have multiple different sort of uh, people witnessing it from different perspectives and everything like that. I really, really like Luke's, and it's mostly for this line. And by the way, kids, you should pay attention. It's mostly for this line that the angel said to Mary, why do you seek the living among the dead? You see, these angels, or uh, messengers in dazzling apparel, if you will, uh, were not from this world. They were from heaven, which means that they had not grown accustomed to death in the same way that we had. They had not become tolerant of it. They had not cozied up next to it. To them, this was still a shocking and horrible experience. To them, this was wrong. Now, to the people that were visiting to the tomb, the people that were bringing spices, dead was dead. That was the end of the story. And so when they come up and they see an empty tomb, they're like, what's going on? The angels look at them, and I like to think that maybe, you know, we don't get much of their tone here. I like to think they're looking at them like they're a little bit crazy, right? They're like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus told you he was going to rise from the grave. What are, what are you really doing here? Why are you in a cemetery looking for Jesus? Do you think he would have hung out here 
after he rose from the dead? Do you think he's just going to like chill here? He's got things to do, right? They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's kind of like showing up at a restaurant, like right at closing time. Have you ever done this? Like you show up, it's like 10.01 or something like that. And they look at you like you are nuts, you know? And they like, they instantly hate you. They're like, get out of here. What's wrong with you? How dare you step foot in here? We don't serve food here. We've never served food and we'll never serve you. We throw away all of our food at 9.59. Get out of here, right? That's kind of what the angels probably not as sassy as all that, but I think the angels were kind of had that kind of spirit, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is not where Jesus is. In Eugene Peterson's translation, he actually says this. He says, why do you look for the capital living one in a cemetery? As if that juxtaposition shows, why would Jesus be here? Why would some, someone who is so full of life be here around so much death. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I remember one time I was out on a hike. Uh, it was somewhere near Kenosha Pass. Uh, Josh and I actually went, and uh, it was like a couple of nights that we were out there, a few days. We knew that we had a lot of miles to cover, but we are alpha males and knew that we could do it, and we were super impressive, so we were like, we're going to knock this out. So we knew it was a lot of miles, but we had to like, you know, keep it at a high click and a high pace, and we're hiking, 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 hiking. At some point, uh, scholars are still debating as to why and how uh, we took a wrong turn. And uh, we were doing this, like, big, big circle, right? It's this big, like, three-day loop, you know? And we took a wrong turn. And we actually sort of turned into the middle of the circle, and we started, like, you know, uh, like, traversing, you would say. So I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this when you're hiking, especially in the Colorado mountains. There's a moment at first when you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we took the trail. We thought it was a trail, right? Now, it could have just been a washout or something like that. And you keep taking the trail, and you're like, this is a trail, this is a trail, this is a trail. Not sure that this is a trail, right? But then it's kind of this weird, like, well, you know, there's not a tree in my way, so maybe, you know? Or you start walking over some rocks, and you're like, I wouldn't even know if there was a trail here, because it's a rock, right? It's not going to show. And you keep on going, you keep on going. Eventually, we're, like, scrambling up this hill, and we're like, well, maybe it washed out here, you know? Like, that's got to be it. And then finally, we find ourselves near, like, the top of this, like, you know, mountain range that we were in, and there's, like, this big, bald rock like the surface of Mars or something, and we're sitting on it, looking around. There is absolutely no indication of any direction off of this rock that we should take, and we come to the realization at that moment that we were lost. And what was crazy about that <clears throat> is we had this terrible choice to make. Do we turn around, which coming there was terrible, going back was going to be worse, we turn around and we say, do we just give up on this pathway or do we keep going through? And something about being like, you know, deprived of water in the like hot sun and not necessarily thinking straight, we thought to ourselves, well, we're in the middle of a circle uh, and we're pushing towards the middle. If we keep pushing, we'll come out on the other side. Now, remember, I told you this is like a three day loop. OK, so uh, I'm no math major, but the diameter, you know, divided by the mile, it was going to be a lot and we were going to die. Right. <laughs> Uh, but we're sitting there, we're, we're like testing it out. We put our packs down and we're both sort of taking these little journeys off to the side and trying to figure it out. And eventually I had to leave Josh behind and uh, I think he's still there, actually. Uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, it reminded me actually of this passage in Proverbs 14. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death which is a really dramatic way to talk about your hiking trip, <laughs> but I think a really profound way to think about your life. 
And it's weird how in that moment we had gone so far, we felt like we had invested. We felt like since we had been working in this pathway that whole time since we'd been taking this trail, that because of that investment that we had made, surely it had to pay off. If we could just lean in a little bit harder, if we could just get a little bit further down this trail, then surely we would reach the destination that we were going to. And what ended up happening, actually, is we came across this gorge that would have taken us like seven days to go down and up. We would have died in the passing. It was just bad news all the way around. But it's striking to me that we as human beings, like, we had no reason to believe that that trail would lead us to the right place. We knew at that point we were off the trail. Why did we think our poor trail was going to lead to the right thing? Why did we think this pathway that we were on was actually going to lead anywhere but death, anywhere but the end? That's not how trails work, and it's not how life works. Do you ever find yourself like going down a path in life? And I'm not, I'm not talking like trails here. I'm talking about the things that we do just to like be alive and to, to do life. You ever find yourself going down one of those paths and it feels like you've gone too far down it's where you can't turn back? Like maybe even you have these little inklings as you're going along that you're losing the trail, that maybe this isn't the right path, maybe this isn't the way to be going, and yet still it feels like turning around would be giving up or maybe there's just not another path to take. I feel like uh, I have a small confession to make now that it is Easter. Uh, this has been one of the lamest Lents that I have ever had. I don't think a pastor's ever said that phrase, actually, now that I say that. This has been a lame Lent. <laughs> anyway, uh, every year here at Dwell, we actually celebrate Lent, uh, something I didn't grow up with, but something that now has become really important and powerful in my life. This year, I gave up uh, entertaining myself with my phone, uh, and it was uh, good and bad. It was a little bit too abstract. And the real problem was uh, I am a faulty and frail human being, and I need probably a firmer structure in my life. Because what happened is day one of Lent, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to refocus. I'm going to spend this time. I'm going to focus on God. I'm not going to focus on my phone anymore. So taking all social media off of my phone, taking off all the, go- the games off of my phone, uh, taking off anything that's interesting, you know, like getting rid of YouTube, getting rid of all this stuff, you know. Uh, I'm a big Redditor for some reason. Uh, and so I take that off the phone, right? And for the first week, it was fine. It was good. It was like, oh, man, this is nice. I need to focus on God. Look at how many times I'm running to my phone as if it can, like, satisfy me. This is super messed up. And then the next week, I found myself, like, uh, scrolling on things that aren't even, like, really, really meant to be fun. It started with, like, news apps, you know, and then I became, like, a news junkie for a week. And then uh, after that, uh, I was, like, checking my bank account, like... Like, as if it was changing. Like, I was literally, Sarah was at work, I was at home, no one was spending anything, and I'm, like, checking it three times a day. Oh, it's the same. Not a lot, but it's, it's the same, you know? Uh, I was literally checking the Craigslist free site. I was scrolling on that just to find out what people were giving away. I don't even think I, like, picked up anything. I, th- I learned a lot about people during that time, though, you know? The worst thing that I learned was probably about me, and that is that I am going to find a way to try and sort of trick myself into thinking that something can satisfy me, even when it can't. Like, even when I take away the actual interesting things from my phone, something about me says, hey, you still need to find some sort of life and joy and satisfaction in this. You still need to turn to this when you're bored. You still need to turn to this when you're lonely. You still need to turn to this when you're seeking something. And the end result was the exact same thing as it was even before Lent. Anxiety, jealousy, loneliness. Looking at all this junk on my phone did not help me to feel any better. And yet still I find myself turning back to it. 
It's weird how we seek life in things that could never actually give it to us. And that was not like the, the best example that I've had in my life. It was only the most recent because for me, this is just a constant battle. I am constantly seeking life in places where it does not exist and constantly having to ask myself, what are you expecting to find here? Like, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living in your phone? Why do you seek the living in being a good person? Why do you seek the living in what people think? Why do you seek the living in new experiences? Why do you seek the living in your job? Why do you seek the living in gratifying your desires? Why do you seek the living in empty religion? Why are you looking for life in all of these places that don't have it? Because if you have lived, if you are like me and you have lived for five minutes, and you know there are so many things that end up turning out not to be satisfying. I mean, if you've watched a PBS special as a kid, then you know that pouring your life into your job is not going to lead you to satisfaction. You know if you've had a relationship with another human being uh, for any amount of time that they are not enough to fully satisfy you for your entire life. Uh, You know that you can't really, really count on anything because you have seen the ways that this world is chaotic and it's difficult to plan. And in all of those things, there's something about us as human beings. Our minds can trick us into thinking that there is actually life where there is only death. The list could go on and on and on. And what's strange is we have the capacity to continue and distract ourselves, to continue and chase this and then this and then this, and we shift it around. And it just kind of feels like we're just kicking the can down the road. And on the hundredth time that that thing, whatever it is for you, lets you down, man, you know, you know what it's like to sort of taste that that small death. This is the part where it gets a little bit interactive. Uh, I know you only got out of bed this morning for a food truck. So did I. That's quite all right. Uh, I want to say that I woke up and looked over at Sarah and said, he is risen. But I said, no, we got ice cream coming this afternoon. Uh, I'm very excited about it. But this is the time when I'm going to ask you to actually like, think a little bit. What, what is it for you that you are finding or seeking life in that's probably not going to give it to you? You don't have to you know, shout it out loud or anything like that. Just think of it in your own mind. What is it that you are seeking life from? And is it actually giving it to you? Back at the tomb, the angels look at Mary, they look at the women that came, and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? And that is the question that you must ask yourself today. And actually, if you would say that this is you, that you have been finding death, that you have given in to what we call life, that you're tolerant of death, that you're tolerant of the way that it is, that you've just given in, that that's just the way that it is, and that's the way that it's always going to be. I have an even better question for you than why do you seek the living among the dead? Or rather, Jesus does. Just before bringing another man back from the dead, this is what Jesus says to the dead man's sister. He looks at her. This is in John 11, 25 and 26. And he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he 
live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the crucial question, do you believe this? Let me read Jesus' words again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, I don't have to, like, bust out my Greek Bible. I don't have to do some sort of, like, 2,000-year-old research to tell you that the words lives and die have not changed very much. What Jesus is promising here is an end to the entire system that we have just bought into. He is giving us an out of this death that we tolerate. He is giving us a glimpse of the resurrection that we so long for. And all he asks in return is this simple question, do you believe And the truth is, whether your answer is yes or whether your answer is no, every single one of us has to answer that question today. Every single one of us is faced with this question, do you believe? And it's the most important question that you'll ever answer. Because you see, in the midst of all of this death, in the midst of the way that we have chosen to live life and what we've become comfortable with, in the midst of all of that Jesus actually came, and he came and he lived the same type of life that we did. He was a human being just like you and me. The only difference was he never actually sinned. He never did anything wrong. He never did anything harmful to himself or to others. Jesus came and he lived that life, and he took all of the death that we keep chasing after, While we're still chasing after it, while we're still trying to delude ourselves into thinking that these other things can satisfy, while we're still fooling ourselves into thinking that there's actually life there, Jesus took that death and he actually carried it with him to the cross. He actually took the death that we keep chasing so hard after and he takes it and he actually brings it down with him. He takes it to death with his own death. He takes all of our distractions. He takes all of the things that we're chasing. He takes all the things that will never actually bring us life, and he puts them to death. And the beautiful and best part of the story, the thing that we are actually all here to celebrate today, is that that is not the end of the story. That three days later, after taking this death to death, he actually beats death once and for all. He actually eliminates this entire system that we have so accustomed ourselves to. And instead of death being the end, instead of that just being the way that it is, he actually comes back from the grave three days later and is alive. And doesn't do this just for himself, but he also does it for everyone who would believe in him. He promises us there, just as he promised Martha, he said... In me, you have eternal life. Whoever believes in me will have life and not death. This is the gift that Jesus is offering to each and every one of us today. And you don't have to sign anything for it. There's no sort of multi-step process. All he is asking is, do you believe this? Because he defeated death, we need not tolerate it anymore. This offer is to every single person in this room. Do you believe this? Maybe you would call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And this is still a question for you. This is a question 
that I have to ask myself every single day. In fact, prepping for this over this past week, man, I've been asking myself, why are you looking for life there? And it's astonishing how often I ask myself that question. Maybe you're on your journey. Maybe uh, you're trying to sort of figure out Jesus still. Maybe you don't know how you feel about it. Ask yourself this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you and for your sins? Can I tell you that that is just, that's how simple it is. I don't have to dress it up. It doesn't have to be more than that. And you can actually answer that question, yes, and accept Jesus' eternal life for your life right now, right here, today. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.